Hello. Hi. And welcome to Going Off Track. Welcome. God damn it. <laughs> I'm Jonah. <clears throat> I'm <clears throat> I'm congested Brad. Congested Brad. Better uh, than no Brad. It's early. It is. Um, how are you feeling, man? You just took a vacation. Do you feel decompressed? It was, it was only a long weekend. <laughs> well, it felt like a it felt like you were gone for weeks Did to you me. Miss I me? missed you a lot. You went to LA for a couple of weeks. I did. I was in LA for a few weeks and I was in Turks and Caicos. Ugh. Yeah, you Did you have like two little kids with you that were running around waking you up in the morning? No. Uh, destroying uh hotel dining rooms? No. I can't say that I did. So you maybe got are a little more relaxed. I did get sunburned even though I drenched myself in SPF 50. Really? Yeah. I get sunburned no matter what. It sucks. Do, it's his fair skin. I well, I have, I I have fair skin, and I need to use the block. Yeah, but what happens to me is that, you know, you miss a place. Right, exactly, and you get like your fingerprints or something. Yeah, <laughs> there's got to be a better way. Like I feel like the spray one doesn't work. There's got to be a way. Yeah, the spray from, is only good for like backup. Yeah, aside from having like someone else do it for you, there's got to be a way to cover your whole bot and not to have to like smear it on your skin. That seems so old fashioned. Yeah, it's really ineffective and efficient. I know. I thought. Well, I, we have a lot of friends that live in <clears throat> Australia, and okay. I thought like, and my kids are pale. Okay. And I thought like, if we ever moved to Australia, we would have to dip them every day. Do you know what a like a pet dip is? No. So there's this treatment, like if you live out in the country or maybe the suburbs, I haven't seen it in a while, but I don't spend a lot of time out amongst the heathens. Uh, <laughs> but you'd be driving down the, the road and you'll see like at like, like at a grain store or maybe a pet place, <clears throat> they'll have a sign that says like pet dip, you know, May 5th. And what it is, is it's like, it's for parasites and fleas and stuff. And you bring your dog and you dip them into a bucket. I've never actually seen it done, but this is how it was described to me. So that, that you literally dip them <laughs> like like you're baptizing them. You dip the whole body into this stuff. Yeah. Why can't we do that? That's what that's what we need for sunscreen. Yeah, we should invent that. I figured that that's what I would have for my kids. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or you could create a shower. You know those showers that spray you from all sides? Yeah. And just go and put them in through that every morning. Yeah. Yeah, because it's bottles, stuff, it's, it's greasy, you're just smearing it on, it's... Yeah, I mean, the best stuff is the stuff that you have to manually apply. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Life's difficult, Jonah. Just stay the <laughs> fuck out of the sun. Yeah, you're right. That's, I mean, that's usually what I do. Also, I live here, so not you really could, an issue most of the You could do it, like, the classy way. You could wear, like, you know, like, nice, long sleeve white cotton shirts. Yeah, they make SPF clothing, too. You I know. have a family member that wears that. I always buy, and whenever I travel to, like, a tropical, I did it this trip, too. I always immediately buy a big straw hat. Really? Yeah, like a big, wide brim, like, kind of either, like, a cowboy style or, like, a, you know, sombrero kind of deal. And do you bring it back with you or you leave yeah, it? Yeah, I usually bring it back. Sometimes it gets destroyed in the plane and then yeah. I just chuck it. But, yeah, I usually bring it back. I actually have a few of them in the, from around the world. Well, the, next time I go on, a, on an exotic trip, I might need to borrow one of your straw hats. No problem, dude. <laughs> um speaking of exotic musicians mm. um, 
Today on the podcast, we have Claudio Sanchez, singer for Coheed and Cambria. He's pretty exotic. He's pretty exotic, dude. It's definitely an exotic band. Very exotic, very uh, technically impressive. Technically impressive and... Uh, and progressive. And sort of be, oh, and beyond um, the norm. Beyond the norm, yeah. Um, yeah, Claudio, I was speaking with his manager, um, Blaze, awesome guy. And he mentioned that Claudio lives in Brooklyn now. So he came by the day his band were playing Madison Square Garden. Um, with Glass Jaw and this band Silver Snakes were also opening. You should check out United Nations toured the West Coast with. And they played the theater at MSG. But before the show, Claudio came by to hang out. That was pretty, pretty nice of him. Yeah, it was funny because there were some people hanging out at the studio. Um, I don't know if they worked here or something. And they were like, oh... I introduced him. He's like, oh, you guys got a show tonight? He's like, yeah. He's like, where are you guys playing? He's like, oh, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> which must just be like the coolest thing to say to someone. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm always like, St. Foytis. Which is still cool, but I feel uh, like just being like... This place around the corner, you probably haven't heard of yeah. it. <laughs> but Claudio, a very humble guy, was definitely was like... Not, that must be fun to yeah, say that. Yeah. If Although, I, there's probably some people who would be offended that you didn't recognize them, you know? Yeah, that's true. Not Claudia, though. Very yeah. down-to-earth guy. Very nice. And I'm really glad that Steven was able to Skype in for this one because we talked towards the end, get very into Star Wars and comics, <laughs> and that's sort of both of their sweet spots. So about the last 20 minutes of this podcast, I have no fucking idea what anyone's <laughs> talking about, and I'm just sitting there, like, drinking coffee, staring at them. Yeah. But... What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, Geek out. Yeah, it's very. This podcast is very geeky, as it should be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Claudio. Oh my God, so much shit going on. Uh, they have a record that came out uh, last year. I think in October. Yeah, October. The the color beyond the sun. <laughs> I think. I think that's what it's called. Should we check in here? The color before the sun. <laughs> um. So check that out. Claudio has a comic book line. He's like. I think he's making toys. He talks on this podcast. He actually makes a lot of exclusive announcements on this podcast. Um, oh, yeah. He talks about how he's doing a children's book. He drops some. Yeah. There's a lot of exclusive news that if I was smarter, I would like send a press release to like punknews.com and be like, <laughs> maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll listen through it. There's some exclusive news. I'm not going to ruin it for you. <laughs> I want to tease it. One of it is that Claire's working on a children's book. There's a couple other pieces and I'm not saying it not because I don't remember and I smoke too much weed because I want you to listen so you can hear it for yourself. Right. Right? Yeah. He might be making a run for president. It's possible. I would definitely... No, I'm not going to say anything. I would definitely vote for him. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want to see Coheed on tour, they just finished a tour, but they are going to be... Australia. In Australia, Australia. May 3rd through the 15th. So if you live in Australia... You probably live in Sydney. Get and, a dip. Yeah. Get dipped. And get dipped <laughs> and go see Coheed. I mean, that's like sounds like a fucking perfect day. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this is a super fun podcast. Thank you so much to Claudio for coming by. Thanks to Blaze for hooking this up. And uh, yeah, without any further ado, here is Claudio Sanchez from Coheed and Cambria. <laughs> I mean, it's been like a technical My best week. stuff. I know, right? <laughs> Let's just give up now. <laughs> um, so, 
you recently moved to Brooklyn. Yeah. How do you like it? So I far? like it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I just, I, you know, I like coming out of my apartment and being in a situation where I can walk to everything. You know, my wife and I, we have a, we have a country house in uh, upstate New York and, you know, you have to drive sort of everywhere. Um, and also I find myself kind of falling asleep super early and my son, who is now, um, a little over a year and a half, I feel like he needs some stimulation and whoa. Um, (laughs) as long as it's the producer, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah, like I feel like he, he, he just needs that, you know, he needs something. And my wife and I, we tend to fall asleep super early and he's like itching for something. So now in the city, it like sort of gives us something to do. You yeah, know, as opposed to just like passing out at seven o'clock, eight o'clock. And you got that Park Slope address, man. So you get those schools. Oh yeah, that's right. That's a <laughs> that's a, a nice perk about the area for sure. Yeah, man. I I've, I know a guy who like owns his studio apartment in Park Slope, and he's uh-huh. had people with kids go, "Can we just use your address?" address? Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> oh man. So what was sort of like? Did it take you longer to write this record, or did you have to do, approach it in a different way? Uh, well, a little bit of both. I mean, um, you know, I, uh, so yeah, so I, I was definitely getting frustrated because a lot of the material that I was writing, like sort of fell outside of the normal lines of what I envisioned a Coheed and Cambria album to be. Um, so for a minute, I started to contemplate the idea of it being a solo album. Um, because, you know, I, I just, I, I, I don't know I, I couldn't see a vision behind it. Certainly between, you know, from the first third of the album, it was like more of a sense of identity crisis, if you will, where it's just like, this doesn't fit with what we do. What is this? Who am I in this band? Am I just, uh, you know, I, I just started to really get inside myself and, and start to question my value. Um, and then when my wife told me we were pregnant, sort of everything came into focus. And I started to write songs, you know, about her and about the contemplation of me becoming a father and who I would be and the inevitability of having to leave him because of the occupation and all that stuff sort of spilled into that. And uh, and as we were waiting for my son to be born, we found out that our country home that we had put up for rent was turned into like a $300,000 a month grow house. So it was like completely destroyed. Um, and so we had to figure out how to rebuild that, um, you know, sure insurance took care of it, but at some point they thought we were involved. And so we had to be questioned and sequestered at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so all while waiting for our son to be born and then, um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so, so we dealt with that. We moved back out up to the country. We got our house sort of situated, um, you know, and I wrote a couple of songs up there basically just about, you know, um, you know, the end result of like, okay, this isn't a solo album. This is really a Coheed and Cambria record. You know, I've always wanted this band to be limitless in terms of its creativity. So why should it make, be any different with the, uh, the concept, you know, like we can write a record without one, you know, this can be that. And, uh, and so that was it. I sort of closed the record with those three songs and, uh, and yeah. And then we decided we, you know, the country wasn't for us. We put it back up for rent (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and we're back now in the city. Gotcha. That's interesting because I always assumed you had like the Coheed, like the themes of the records written for like the next 25 records or something. Well, you know, it's funny. I do. Uh, like I, I, you know, originally my idea was that we were going to um, continue the Afterman story that we had, you know, the last record that we put out, that double album sort of situation. 
But then I started to question, you know, I love the way that ended. I love the way the concept ends. It's very romantic in my mind because it's open-ended. Um, so I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to just completely conclude it and, you know, make everything finite. Um, but writing The Color Before the Sun, like, allowed me to really ponder the ideas of what would come after the No World for Tomorrow story. Because originally that was like the end of the whole concept. Everything was destroyed. But there's a way, um, you know, because I'm still sort of penning the outline for that accompanying uh, graphic novel. Um, there's a way to push forward and to continue it. Um, so it allowed me the time to think about that and accept that, that, that I, will, uh, I will continue going. And so those concepts have started to, to, uh, to sort of come up and, and percolate. And, and now it's all about notating it. Nice. Dude, you're like Robert Jordan of rock, man. Oh, that's, that's super nice. <laughs> I don't get that reference. Seriously. Wheel of Time? Gotcha. Wheel of Time. Wheel of yeah. Time was one of the books that when I started reading them, there were three. And he kept doing them year after year after year. And finally, by like year 10, I was like, I can't remember what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. what's going on. <laughs> he eventually passed away before he finished and like had to choose his successor, who I ended up interviewing when i was at mtv not knowing he was the guy and then halfway through the interview we both exploded and i was like you're brandon sanderson and like tweaked out but <laughs> it's like he had he has this entire world that he had going on forever and it just surpassed everything and God, that's claudio man he's uh -huh. got the whole thing like mapped out <laughs> it's insane the, i was curious i mean like it seemed to me so, so many of the early records are sort of character based. Mm -hmm. I mean, would you say like the stuff you're writing now is maybe more personal based on your life? Or would you say that's kind of both? Well, I think it was, it was always sort of personal. I mean, for me, um, it was a kind of an accident that I fell into the role of the singer sort of, you know, picture, if that makes any sense. And so, um, you know, that's why I created the concept because I was this insecure, shy person. And it was a way for me to sort of tell my story, but in the form of a mask and allow that to sort of take the beating as opposed to myself. Um, so it's always, it's always been very, very personal. Um, you know, at, at the time, actually, when, when uh, I had created this idea in 1998, I took a trip to Paris and that's sort of where I did it. And it was like going to be a side project to what Coheed was at the time. And Coheed was called Shibuti. It was something ridiculous. Didn't make sense for, <laughs> you know, the type of music that we were playing. And uh, when we signed to Equal Vision in 2000, they didn't like the name. And uh, some of the songs that I put into the demo that we had submitted to them were from the Coheed and Cambria project, uh, songs like Time Consumer and Everything Evil. And, uh, and so when they didn't like the name, we decided, okay, well, we got to change it. And we tried a couple of names. And one of the guys in the band really liked the name Coheed and Cambria. So when we adopted it, that's when I sort of brought the concept idea along with it. So some of the songs outside of, of that were really just written from self. And then I kind of transformed into a concept and then further going like with, you know, in keeping and the other stories, I always kept the concept in mind. Like this is now Coheed and Cambria. This is, this is what I've always wanted to do. Create this facade um, of science fantasy, um, you know, around a rock band. Interesting. Steven, do you have any, I just, I just want to ask you, uh, I, I saw you do a performance and Peter David did a reading yes. of the book you worked on. Mm -hmm. when, how's he doing, by the way? He's uh, doing all right. I mean, his health is, uh, I mean, I haven't spoken to him for a while because we, right. we've, but the last I had spoken to him, he was doing, he's doing better after the stroke. Okay. 
Um, he's this amazing like comic book sci-fi writer. He worked on like the Incredible Hulk. Like he's this like fascinating guy. And, and Claudio worked with him on this book, uh, which what, it was a coheed. Was it which? Yeah, part? it was. It was the uh, origin story yes. of coheed and Cambria called uh, Year of the Black Rainbow. Yes, and they did like some performance. I think it was at the now gone Best Buy yep. at Union Square. Mm-hmm. It was super cool because he did this reading and then the band rocked out. It was insane. <laughs> it, was it is now the cool. PlayStation Theater. That's what it is now? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't miss New York. Really. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> really don't. It um, is. But uh, uh, comic-wise, what, what's happening? Is there uh, is there thought of... Um, taking whatever you're working on now, putting that in a comic form, or do you have other ideas floating around? Absolutely. I mean, at the moment, I mean, we haven't announced it, but uh, we are three or four issues into um, the Good Apollo story. We're actually redoing Good Apollo 1, Fear Through the Eyes of Madness, in a 12-issue maxi series, And um, so, yeah, we're just waiting to get enough of the material complete before we actually make the, the, the announcement. But, I mean, I guess this is kind of an announcement. But yeah, you know, but that's happening right at the moment, you know. <laughs> but who who's putting it out? Um, well, we don't know yet. I, we're 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 probably boom. Um, oh, but you great. know, but a, but a, we're really undecided at the moment because you know, Evil Link is is my comic book imprint, and we're sort of toying around with the idea of self uh, releasing as well. Um, so we'll see. We're just we're still in limbo, um, just waiting for enough of the material to kind of come together um, before we actually make it official. I couldn't find it, but it's here. But I have a kill audio doll somewhere. Oh right, yes. Because <laughs> we were because you brought over. I think you came with them yep, years ago. I did. At Fuse because I didn't. I get. I'm a big wuss, and I, I gave Mike one of the other podcast guys and our other producer. I gave him the bloody one. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the good one. Yeah, Stephen doesn't <laughs> like blood. No, Stephen's a big weenie. <laughs> I mean, this is maybe a naive question for someone who doesn't know a lot about graphic novels, but have you ever thought about trying to turn one into a film or do something like that? You know, we have. At one point, Leverage Entertainment, who's affiliated with Mark Wahlberg, fell into the picture of making the Amory Wars a feature. But, like, I think that agreement sort of has expired. Um, but it was something that was that was happening at one point in time. Um, but even, like, some of the other stories, Key of Z... Um, that's one we're thinking of possibly adapting into some, you know, feature, uh, you know, and, and we'll see about the others. But those are the two that I think are are the focal points. Okay. I, I think, I mean, your stuff has TV series written all over it. Like, I, it's, I'm very picky about the nerdy stuff I watch. And I just watched um, the Leviathan show, The, the Expanse. Okay. Did you see oh, yeah. that? I, no, I, I, saw, no. I watched like like four or five. It was like the closest thing to like the tone of the newer Battlestar that, yeah. uh-huh. that I fell into. And that's what I always compare like your work to. It's got that fantasy, but it's got that spiritual sci-fi-ness that goes together with that kind of stuff. So yeah, dude, either comic series or TV series is where I see your stuff going. Oh, I well, love it. Because would... it's got depth and it's got history and that's hard to put together. Yeah, absolutely. You need the time. And I think that's yeah. why the TV series is such a great idea. You know, you got that that space to really kind of work out all the details. Um, How do you get it together? Do you have like a, like a, like a cork board with like pins and string drawn to everybody or outlines or. Yeah. I mean, most of the time it's outlines. Like for me, um, I find that it'll happen. Like I was saying early in the morning, I'll walk around the neighborhood. Like just recently, uh, as we've been finishing the fear through the eyes of madness story, I've started to think of the no world for tomorrow uh, part. And one morning I was just walking around the neighborhood 
because at 10, I, you know, I get up at so early, there's nothing to do. And I just start jotting this, jotting it down. It just hits me. And, and I just write in my iPhone, just in the notepad. And I'll just start either using the dictaphone application or just typing, um, you know, and, and it, it's all there. And then I'll submit it to my wife. Cause my wife and I, we both, we collaborate on a lot of the books together. Really? And yeah. Yeah. When did that start? Because you had this idea, I think, before you guys got married, right? Absolutely, Everything. yeah. I mean, we started, our first book was the Kill Audio series that we did together um, because we had gotten into that because in, of our love for uh, vinyl toys. And so when we got the uh, prototype back, um, I was like, you know, there's, there's a story in this character. We should create one. And so we did. And that became like sort of the seed to what... Uh, what would be like Evil Inc. Comics? Because then we went on to work on Key of Z together, um, uh, Translucid, which is like our superhero story, and now we're doing uh, Good Apollo 1 together. Um, That's so cool. But yeah, so I'll bounce it off of her, and you know, she brings a realism to it because I, I tend to stay like so into my head and so into the fantasy that, uh, you know, it is, it, I forget that people are reading these things you know what i mean <laughs> like so so she'll help kind of tone it down and anchor it into uh something that makes sense <laughs> oh that's cool is, is there anything uh earlier that you wish she had been there for that to help anchor down absolutely the first the first second stage tur- the second stage right. turbine blade arc um uh i mean she was there sort of but mm-hmm. not in this degree right. you know um so uh yeah i kind of wish she was there for that well, wow, it's a heavy collaboration because, you know, you can't just leave. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up. It's time to go to work. <laughs> yeah. What time do you go to sleep usually? I, I I'm mean, sorry. I'm like fascinated because I've been trying to get up earlier and doing a terrible job. Oh, <laughs> normally, uh, you know, if I'm not on the road, uh, I get do. I'll fall asleep fairly early. I mean, eight o'clock, seven o'clock. Sometimes I'll just pass out. Uh, but for the most part. Even if I stay up late, there's like an internal clock. And I think it has a lot to do with my parents because they were, my dad's a blue collar worker. So when he was work, he'd wake up and head to work at five o'clock in the morning. So I would wake up, I would hear him stir. My mother doesn't sleep very much. She, so I would just hear them stirring and it would like just wake me up. Um, sure. That didn't apply when school was in the picture, <laughs> you know, but, right. uh, but somehow that leaped into my subconscious and now it's just what I do. You know. What did he do? He was uh, uh, he worked at a heat treatment. He was heat treatment at a factory uh, called Chromaloy. Uh, they do they heat treat airplane parts, and one of the oh, wow. one of the parts that they treat is the second stage turbine bleed. And that's where I got the name for the for the first part of the concept because I based Coheed and Cambria on my mother and father. Mm-hmm. You know, and so and so it just made sense to me to kind of name the story after the part that he would work on. Wow, minds are blowing. <laughs> For real, I have nothing to say. <laughs> I've, I've, got a kind of a, I've got kind of a non sequitur, but how fun is it to play uh, double neck electric guitar on stage? You know, it, <laughs> it, it, it looks so awesome. <laughs> it's fun, but sometimes I, you know, when when we brought that into the picture, it was like, okay, well, this is a gimmick, you know, because at the time we started getting compared to these like classic rock bands, and I was like, okay, well, what's more classic than the double neck and thinking of the Led Zeppelin comparison? So it's like, let's bring that into play. 
But I found, I was like, I really have no need for the 12 string portion of this guitar, you know, unless it's in production or, or something like that. So now I have to figure out ways to incorporate it. So it doesn't just look silly up there that I'm like, oh, I'm just ripping on this one <laughs> neck. Like <laughs> I just try to get the 12 in there. So See, uh, I think that's cooler if you don't touch the 12. Yeah, just like whatever. <laughs> just tune, it, tune it to like some crazy open chord that you can just hit like once every that's so often. That's a great idea. <laughs> that is. Blow people's mind. <laughs> wow. What is that chord, man? <laughs> Have it tuned to a hard day's night totally. Just leave it. That's good. <laughs> and then when you hit it once, people will be really confused, really psyched, and then forget about it. <laughs> oh, man. So we were talking before. Um, you and we've toured with Silver Snakes a lot in the West Coast. Uh-huh. And uh, you signed, they're on Evil Inc. now. Mm-hmm. How did you, have you been doing the label for a while or how did that sort of come about? You know, it doesn't seem like you have a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's fairly new. I mean, it was something that was brought to my attention from the guys at the comic book uh, portion of, of the label. Um, because there was this one band um, from New Jersey called Thank You Scientists. And, you know, they have, it's a, very, it's a progressive rock band. Um, and they have like horns that are involved. It's very, very technically proficient, but beautiful songs. And the lead singer happens to sing in a high register. So they were like, oh, well, this might make sense for us. Let's maybe put something together and try a label. And I was like, okay, well, let's do that. And, and that was really successful for us, you know? Um, and we thought, well, why not? Let's try Silver Snakes. And Silver Snakes was a band that we had played a couple of shows with um, on the West Coast. And uh, I had really liked them. And then it just happened that one day, uh, one of the guys at the at the label said, you know, that I guess they were out of their contract, had a new record, looking for a home, and wondered if I was interested. And I said, you know, I'm sure, sure, I'm interested, you know, and uh, and that was pretty much it, you know. But it's a good thing to have. I mean, that's one thing about Evil Link that's that's uh, that's special and different from other labels is that we can provide an audience. That's part of what we do, you know. It's like we'll sign your band and we'll put you in front of you know, in front of the audience, we'll take you out on tour with us um, and try to get you an, ex- ex- we promise you an exposure that maybe someone else can't. Um, and that's sort of the same thing I do, the same like sort of principle I do with the comic books. Like, you know, on paper, you know, in terms of like the sales on maybe say, a, you know, a comic book retailer, it might not make a whole lot of sense. There might not be a whole lot of numbers, but we take them out and we sell like I mean, we sell 30, 40 copies of the hardcover editions a night. You know, it's same thing. I'll just, you know, direct to consumer, if you will. Sort of. So, you're, so, you're, so not only are you bringing merch out on tour, but you're bringing all the comics? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, Evil Inc. has a, has a big um, presence at the Coheed booth, for sure. I was going to say, because, you know, shirts are heavy enough. I know. But our <laughs> merch guy is beautiful. Sean is, <laughs> is really great and, like, uh, does a great job. So, uh, so yeah. What's the crowd like these days at a Coheed show? Is it mostly dudes? Is it like a mix? You know, it's a mix. That's funny that you bring that up because for a while, because of the concept, because of the progressive sort of tendencies, um, one would just assume that it's male oriented. And sure, at one point it it was. But the other day it was like, I was like, oh yeah, I'm 37 years old now. So I don't really care so much about, but I'm like, there's, there's females in our audience. There's a lot of them and they're crowd surfing and doing their thing. So it's really for everybody. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Coheed is for the people. Yeah. Coheed is for the children. I mean, what's it like for you kind of looking back, like when you guys started out? I mean, all, you know, whatever, Thursday, like Thrice, mm-hmm. Saves a Day, all these kind of EVR bands, all these bands got sort of big. And so many of them are gone. Some mm-hmm. of them stuck around. Like, how do you sort of look back at like 
2003, that whole like summer of screamo when it was like, yeah, I I know it was a long time ago. But. No, no, to- I mean I don't know. I mean we were lucky. We were an oddity. Um, I mean I still think we are to this day. Like, um, you know, I mean even the idea that we called ourselves Shibuti, like what that we had so disconnected from a scene, you know, like and um, Equal Vision took us under our wing and and allowed us to be a part of one. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's. I look back on it and I just think. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun. I loved the the idea of the van touring and just the interesting people that we met along the way. And, you know, but I don't know. We just, I really don't know. Yeah. You know, I just, I've come to like a, to like a wall when I think of that. I mean, I think Coheed, you know, you say that all of these bands have kind of disbanded and, and, and have gone away, but, you know, we genuinely love what we do. And not to say that they, those bands don't, but I just feel like there's a lot of heart in what we do. I mean, even aside from like the that that era of of that type of music. I mean, going down the down the line and and you know half the band falling victim to to chemical dependencies and one of the guys getting arrested for a bomb threat at at a Walgreens and all of these and yet we're still here. Like none of that stuff stopped us, you know, um, because I think we genuinely love each other and. And love what we do. Like, I mean, I, I don't know what, what else would I do? I don't know if I could live if I couldn't express myself through song, you know? Because I know I certainly can't do it as a person. Like, right. I have such a hard time communicating. I mean, this has taken years to, stay, to, to talk behind a microphone with, with you guys. I mean, it's something I that was we not easy. I remember we interview you years ago and you wouldn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was it was fused. It was a it was a Starland Ballroom. It was like a tsunami benefit, and you guys were like, Meh. and at the and at the time, I was you know brand new at doing this, and I was like, oh man, wonder what happened. And then years later, you're like, yeah, just shy. Yeah, it's- and I was like, yeah, that dude, fine, that's legit. That's a legit answer. That's totally great. <laughs> I mean, I think I- it is fascinating what you guys have gone through with the. I mean, remember the first set of lineup changes, band kept going. Um, and then I think Josh is now back in. He's been mm-hmm. back in for a while now, you know? Yep. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the bomb threat. That's insane. I don't even know how you guys handled that. I think, I guess the secret is um, separating the band from people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's a shame. But how does the band succeed? You know, yeah. maybe that's it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. But we just somehow just keep keep going. The cockroach of rock and roll sometimes, I like to put it. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I think, you know, I think that one of your strengths is probably you were mentioning that you guys didn't feel like you fit into a particular scene. And I think that a lot of times that can actually give a band longevity, you know, like if you, if you invented the scene, you might have some longevity, but like all the bands that came after the inventor, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they get forgotten. But every now and then you have a band, and I, you know, I couldn't really think of a particular example. But um, uh, I think that that's what it is. Like mm-hmm. you're actually really lucky. You've got this. You've got a huge audience, and part of it is part of the scene. But you guys don't fit into that mold, yeah. and that's that's a good thing, you know, because it means that you're not going to fade out when the fad fades. Mm, you know what yeah, I mean? Nice. Of you. Thank you. That's nice of you to say. For do, sure. do you think it's the storytelling? Because there's there's like, you know. I know the kind of person you are. We're all nerds. We like comics. Uh-huh. We grew up that way. We like fantasy books. And it's, oh shit, how does it end? 
It might not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like J.K. Rowling can't stay away. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, what? what's next? Oh, crap. They wrote something new. Do you think that might be part of the, your band's appeal? I mean, it could be for sure. I mean, it's definitely one thing that that makes us stand out from the rest. Um, it's 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 certainly a, it plays a role. Um, but, you know, sometimes... You know, I think about like a record like like uh, the one that we just wrote without the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of us sort of assumed that there would be some backlash because we, you know, that was absent. But it's, you know, it's very much embraced by the audience, you know. And I think they've sort of always understood that, um, you know, concept aside, all of these songs and, and themes are coming from a very real place. You know, you just need to kind of look past the facade if you really want the true story. Um, but I mean, I think, I definitely think that, that the concept keeps people like, you know, questioning, you know, I think there's still people today who would, who would hear, you know, I remember back when, uh, hell on fuse, we were playing blood red summer ad nauseum and loving it every single time. You know, it's one of those songs that I, I don't get tired of at all, but you can hear that outside of the idea, outside of the story and it still fits. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the key to you guys is that you you could go to a fan and go, yeah, the storyline. They can go, yeah, whatever. I like the record. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, that's the thing is some progressive rock bands with the concepts will sometimes like force feed the idea of the concept to you through them through their lyrics. And that kind of turns me off a little bit. Um, so I try to keep the themes as universal as possible. So, you know, you don't have to feel like the the concept is a burden and like, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into this because it's just too much for me. Like, uh, it's really just an extension. It's just something there. If you really want to, you know, exercise it, but you really don't have to. How about a musical? Uh, funny you say that, Steven, (laughs) while I was writing, (laughs) writing the color before the sun, I was working on a musical. And I think that's why this record is very light in terms of the progressive tones. Because I think I exercised that with the musical. And I, you know, it's funny. I was, I was partnered up with a playwright. And at the time, I brought a few of the Coheed albums and the concepts or the comics, you know, as ideas for adaptations. And, um, and they were like, well, we want to try to do something like maybe a Victorian novel. So they chose one. And I did all the research on it. And, uh, and I, I wrote the first act. It's about... 15 songs maybe about that um but I, I can't say the name of it just yet because we're trying now we're going down the fa- the stages of like financiers and it's pride and prejudice and zombies isn't it no, no, no. <laughs> but it's really cool like it, i you know I've, i fell in love with the story i wasn't familiar with it before but I, I fell in love with it and um you know and i had a lot of fun, i had a lot of fun you know trying to incorporate the themes from the book into the music and taking certain phrases that i thought were relevant and could make good lyrics um oh that's cool you did book and lyrics that's crazy yeah 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 um you know uh and and the playwright did a great job gluing it all together with with the uh with the book and and um but we'll see i i don't know it, it's just kind of floating around at the moment um dude and, musicals are a long con that shit takes years like I, I remember seeing spring awakening and uh-huh. that that was in workshop for seven years oh wow wow before going off broadway like music like we've helped out with a uh, fat mike's musical home street home uh-huh and they keep doing stuff with it but like you don't like musicals is a long con man like mm-hmm. that takes forever to get up there and doing it people are like well you wrote this you put it on nah 
<laughs> they take forever. And then you're always changing shit and tweaking stuff. So even when you think it's finished, they'll be like, yeah, let's yeah. try it with a wolf is the lead. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I loved it. I had such a good time. And, and maybe that's where I exercised my crazy for the neighbors that I was sharing the apartment <laughs> situation with. Because like the first song is 13 minutes long and it kind of goes through the na- the origin of, of who our main character is and his family and who they are. And you know, I switch through all the characters because, you know, I'm the only one singing the parts. And to give the playwright an idea of who's who, you know, the voices change and... Um, I just had so much fun. Like the love interest is like this singer in this bar. And, you know, I created this like sort of eighties, like almost like Billy Ocean type sort of bed for her music. And it's very sexual. And here I am like singing this like female voice. Well, I kind of sing in a high register, but trying to be like sexual <laughs> and I can, and I can hear my neighbors and I know they can hear me. And one day when I moved out, sorry, I know I'm jumping all over the place. Oh, it's awesome. The woman came. <laughs> She comes as we're leaving the apartment. She's like, you know, which one's the singer? You know, I, we heard this beautiful woman's voice. One day. No <laughs> and I way. was like, oh, man. Yeah. I was like, my nightmare. They, can, they could hear. Uh, <laughs> At least they weren't, didn't say you sounded like Eddie Lee or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. That was, <laughs> Dude, you had me at Billy Ocean. Uh, yeah. I, oh, it's cool. I have a question. <laughs> when you have like a 13-minute song, is it hard to like remember all the parts or does it just sort of... You know, it's not hard to remember... Um, you know, for me, uh, at the time when I started to write the the longer songs, I would always document them. I was lucky, fortunate. When I was a kid, you know, my dad got me a Ford track because um, I was always interested in cataloging and recording. And so a four track situation has always been a part of my writing process. Um, so usually... Is that me? I'm sorry. That's me. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, my oh. new, it's my new computer, and I can't figure out how to turn anything off. Oh, <laughs> I know that. I know that situation. And then I switched phones with uh, I like my wife got a new phone, so she gave me her old one. I'm like, oh, that's easy. I'll just put the new SIM card in. Nope, not easy. <laughs> yeah. Giant pain in the ass. Can't figure anything out. So I'm. It's Brad texting me, so it's all okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but for me, it's like I, that's always been a part of my writing process, and and. Uh, yeah, so so I as I write, I will catalog, and for the most part, um, you know, a song like a thirteen-minute song, it's not hard because for me, it's like I don't see the end, I don't see the punctuation to the statement until I get there, you know. Um, so it's, you know, I just keep driving home till I get my point across, and then once I'm there, I'll, I'll punctuate it with like something that will really exclaim that this is the end. Got it. I mean, was there ever sort of like getting back to what we were talking about earlier, like with the lineup changes and all that stuff? I mean, was there ever a moment where you're just like thought about going on hiatus or taking a break? Because I feel like there aren't a lot of bands that have kind of continued for as long as you guys, even with Mm -hmm. different members, you know? Yeah. I mean, we've had we've had several moments. I mean, even even on the when we toured on second stage, like I had a hard time dealing with the attention that came to me, you know, with the, the hair and. And all that stuff. I mean, one night, I forget where it was. We were in um, San Diego, uh, Glass House, I believe was the venue. And, you know, we were being asked to load out. And I, like, uh, you know, uh, 
guy after guy were, was coming up to me asking me to move our stuff and I couldn't find any of the band members and just it was easy to target me because the hair right, was out right. and it got to the point where like I got super frustrated and I grabbed an amplifier and slammed it against the wall like I just lost it um and uh and the band was gonna break up like the band was over I flew home Guys got in, a, in the in the van, drove home, and then we sat down with my aunt, who is a social worker here in Manhattan, and she sort of mediated the situation with us. So this was one instance. I mean, there's multiple instances where the band was going to break up, but ultimately, I think we all really care for each other. We really like playing music. We've been doing. I've been doing this since I was 12 years old. You know, Josh, who's been in the in the band. I mean, he's like he's been doing it probably earlier than that. You know, um, you know, so. You know, there's just been those moments. I mean, definitely the 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 instance where the guys left the band. I mean, that's a story in itself. I mean, we were about to do a, a, a you know, we were about to take this. We were, we put out a second single for for Good Apollo, the Good Apollo record, and we were supposed to go on tour with it it through Europe in support of that single. And like an hour before we're supposed to get on the plane, I get we get this call that you know Josh isn't going to get on the plane he's he's going he can't he can't get down the stairs and um there's demons this is the story and so i'm like oh my god what are we going to do and this is at the time that guys are starting to fall victim of chemical dependency and um you know and i'm like what, what are we going to do so i called management and i say i tell him listen i think the drum tech plays drums and he's watching him he might be able to figure it out so let's just get over there. Let's do a couple of rehearsal days and we'll, you know, we'll play. And so uh, we get to the airport. Drum tech doesn't know that he's going to do that. You know, he lands. <laughs> we tell him this information. He's like, okay, I'll figure it out. But we get there and, you know, the bass player doesn't look like he's in the greatest of health. You know, he's beat, you know, and we get to the, you know, we get to Europe and it's time to do it. And it just sort of falls apart. You know, the bass player ends up flying home, but Josh flies back to Europe and wants to do it. And he gets there and there's a bass player that's sitting in for Mike that's going to replace him. And by that time, Travis and I were both completely exhausted. And uh, we were like, you know what? We just got to fold up. We got to cancel this tour. And that was about the extent of it. It was just a cancellation. We canceled the tour. We came home and we picked up the pieces, Travis and I. You know, we wrote a record, No World for Tomorrow, basically about those guys. You know, sure, it has its place in the concept, but just about them and how no world for tomorrow, like it, it was the, possibly a no world for Coheed and Cambria, you know. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that I mean, that was an instance, you know, the Mike instance. That I mean, by that time, we, we were so calloused by all the stuff that had happened with us, you know, that it was like he's he's about to get in, put in a cop car and go to jail. It was like, the guitar tech can play guitar. All he has to do is play the root notes, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? At that time, like, some of the stuff that Mike was playing was really hard for me to listen to, you know? So it was just, he was always ducked. So I was like, all you have to do is play the root notes. Figure out what the root notes are, and we'll just get through it. And what, we did. What happened with Mike exactly? Well, uh, he, he, um, he went to a... Uh, we were on tour with Soundgarden, and he went into a Walgreens... And handed the pharmacist his, I guess it was his cell phone. And on the cell phone, it just said, you know, I guess he needed some Oxycontins or some, some prescription drug, but that, that he had a bomb on him. That's my understanding of it. 
Um, but yeah, that's what that's why he left the band. Yikes! Are you still are you still uh, in touch? Do you know? Or? No, I haven't spoken to Mike. I mean, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I can yeah. understand. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't really know what his situation is, but you know, it's just funny. Like, I think of our band, and and you know, I think of the preconceived idea of that we're these like, you know, the you know, the, we're the we're the rock band with the comic book, you know, and what comes with that? It's like. It's like, oh, they're safe, right? They're, you know, but we're 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 fucking crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I feel like I've noticed that too. Like a lot of the bands that you think would be like the most mellow, like guys are to end up being like, you're like, what well, these guys? Yeah. And the opposite too. And the know? opposite, totally. Yes, yeah. The opposite is definitely true. <laughs> we did a, the last podcast we did here last week. We had Nikki Six on. Oh, okay. So yeah. <laughs> He was all business. He was all business. Oh, yeah. was he? Yeah. yeah, no, no, real. I think he, that guy's probably told every crazy story yeah. and like put it in a book. Yeah, so he didn't need to. <laughs> yeah. So it's, what, quite, it's quite a book. Yes, yeah. it is. So you guys are out with Glassjaw now. We are. Yes. Has that been cool? Are you, are you like a fan of? Oh theirs? yeah, that's been great. I mean, Worship and Tribute was like a mainstay in the van when we were touring back back when that record came out. Um, tremendous fans. So it's real um, honor to be out with them and. You know, uh, we've, you know, we've, we've crossed paths back in the day, um, you know, uh, so yeah, it's just a lot of fun to see, see them out there, Justin and Daryl, like, you know, just doing their thing. It's, it's nice. Yeah, that's great. And what, and what's, how's that, how's the adjustment with the kid being on tour? You know, it's hard. It's, it's hard, but at the, at, you know, at first it was super difficult. Now I think it's it's a bit easier because I understand that everything I'm doing now is is for him. It's to give him the life that, you know, I mean, not that I, I had a great life. I really did despite whatever, you know, situations I had. But, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, it's it's exciting when, when, when I can take him out. Actually, Travis, the other guitar player, he's, his son is four months older than Atlas, my son. And they come out a lot together. And so the other day we were like trying out the confetti cannons at rehearsal in Boston. And these two kids are, you know, uh, RC just turned two. Uh, and, and they're just running in the confetti blast, you know, That's and just awesome. playing in the lights. Um, you know, it's just really cool and great to see. Uh, you know, I, I, everything, like I said, everything I do now is, is for him, for my wife. And, and you know, and I think, I think he... He'll, and he'll understand. Oh, completely. I, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, <laughs> my therapist always has this line of it's like, you don't put the oxygen mask on the kid first. You take care of you. Then you get the mm-hmm. kids set so they don't freak out. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's, it's like it's an important thing. And also technology nowadays isn't, you're not there physically, but it helps, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we could be in 1984 and I'm throwing coins into a, into a payphone, you know, now yeah. at least I'm somewhat present through FaceTime and things like oh, that, you completely. know, it's great. It's amazing. That's very, that's exciting. And I don't, I mean, your, your longevity is probably due in fact, I don't know, just to how you guys treat it. How got man, having an aunt who's a social worker and that helps Ben being able to, <laughs> being able to sit down and talk because yeah. one of those instances would have destroyed any other band. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, we're very lucky. We really are. And I think, I don't know, again, it's just, we're a family. We're, we're a highway family. You know, we've seen things about each other that our blood relation has, we'll never see, you know, aside that they'll never see. And, um, 
And I think we've come to really understand that and accept that. And, and it's empowered us in, in a way, you know, that. Is, is there a place you haven't toured that you guys want to hit? Um, I don't know. Uh, we haven't done Russia. Um, but you know, there, there's a, there's several places, but I, I'm, I'm not sure. Like I, I'm down to go wherever, but there's nothing that really like, like falls into my mind. That's like, okay, I need to go there. You know, I think we've hit a lot of those places for, for me that I've, oh, cool. uh, you know, I've sort of daydreamed about. Wow. Right on that. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> so, so you get to sleep at home tonight or do you have to roll out? Last night I did. Oh, tonight okay. I'll That's roll cool. out. Gotcha. Um, but I got to tell you, I kind of like, I like sleeping on the bus. Yeah. You know, the white noise and the rocking really helps me. Um, I have like something that's going on in my right ear where like, you know, there's like this 4K tone that happens. So when I wake up, it's like, I'm up. Like the, maybe that's why I get up early. Yeah. Because this thing is, um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, it's, I do, I do like being on the road. For some reason, I think it, all of us do. Like we fall into this regimen. Um, once we get home, we're really, we're home and it's like a vacation. Like we all just kind of don't even think about being on the road. But when we're on the road, it gets really strict and not in a bad way. It's just, you kind of fall into that, into that, uh, like you know, I, military. Sort I was like, well, the simplicity of it, because you didn't have to really make decisions. That's what I always liked about being on tour. It's like your job was like reduced to like, get to the show, play a great show get some rest. Like yeah. those are the three things that you had to do. And that was literally it. Yeah. Any, anything else was just for kicks, you know? And like, I just love the fact that there was no fucking decisions to be made. You know, you didn't have to decide, like you didn't even have to decide what you're going to wear. Really, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you always wear the same fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's drenched. Like, whoa. Yeah. You don't have to decide if you're going to go to your friend's fucking party or opening or if you're going to pay your bills you're right man actually you're, I, that's like one of the things i can't stand about just like being around is the indecision yeah you know there's sometimes large groups will bother me in that in that way you know um even when we go out on like times where it's like hey we got a day off let's go out to eat it's like the, the other day we were going to go out to eat in, in chicago and the group sort of converged onto this one place and i was like yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, <laughs> just like, oh man. So, <laughs> so you're in Chicago. So you went over to Graham Cracker Comics and just hung out. I did. I went to Chicago Comics and I went to yeah, and Graham Cracker. Graham Cracker's an amazing comic yep. book store. Absolutely. I actually went up to the guy I managed it and I said, "I want to thank you for putting everything in alphabetical order, despite who the publisher is, because I know what I'm looking for." Me too. Every other store pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I also liked? It's it's a shame too. In Brooklyn, there was a small uh, shop called uh, in, in Park Slope. Uh, it was there, Bergen Street Comics. Did you ever go there? No. It was really nice. They they would they would uh, they would create categories. So it didn't you know it was like science fiction, western, yeah. superhero, that sort of situation. I really liked that comic shop. It was pretty close to our apartment, but it's no longer there. Oh yeah, I get, did the uh, out here in Jersey. There's like one uh, where I live. There's like one comic book store, and they never have anything I want. Like I'll go in and go, "Hey, you got that new Warren Ellis book?" Oh yeah, we only ordered two. Yeah, that's Why? like the shop I have right now. I'm sorry, you mean cut you off? <laughs> no, please, no. easily cut me off. <laughs> but this frustrates me because I'm like, I know there's more than two people who want that book because they bought them, and yeah. I am here. <laughs> I think it's so funny because I feel like you're doing sort of the opposite 
of everyone I feel like who's our age. I have so many friends that have kids and move upstate and get out of Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. And you're sort of doing the opposite thing. I know. I mean, we, at one point, we'll see. We probably will end up moving, you know, out of the out of the city. But for the time being, I really like it. I like the resources for our son. And totally. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it is. It's it's expensive. It's ridiculous, actually. Like, you know, I was looking at some of the other areas and what you can spend in Park Slope for like a two bedroom and a townhouse in another. You know what I mean? Like just right. or like even outside the city. I mean, I was like looking at this the other day and I was like, I was like, we can get a mansion. I mean, our house upstate is 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 nice. It's a lot. It's like three hundred thirty six hundred square feet. It's I mean, it's, it's a big house. I didn't live in a house like that when I was growing up. You right. know, um, but uh, but we pay a fraction of what you would pay for a two bedroom apartment here. It's like ridiculous. Yeah. And we've got like five acres of land up there. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So you could build your block in Park Slope. I probably, yes. You can never look look at, don't look at real estate outside of the city. It's just, you know, the price of a one, you know, the price of a one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, you can get a huge, beautiful Victorian mansion in St. Louis. And that's not even a joke. Yeah. <laughs> but then you're in St. Louis. I know. And, yeah. and no offense to the people who live in St. Louis, but I used to live in St. Louis. <laughs> that's why I'm not there. <laughs> it's a beautiful town. Yeah, my wife does that. We live like 20 minutes from Pennsylvania. And I'm gesturing with my thumb as if you guys could care. Um, uh, and and it's and she 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 drives herself nuts. Like, we could live here and have twice. I'm like, just stop. The schools are good. That's why we're here. That's that adult thing where like you want their quality of life to be beyond what you had and not think about it, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, and then you start thinking, oh my God, when did I become my dad? Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Steven, are you wearing a warp, a warp Tour hat? I am. Nice. Yes. Warp Tour because to- I, oh. like many other people, I wear free shit. Yep. I feel you. <laughs> Have fun. you, do you guys miss... Doing Warp Tour, When's, you probably haven't done it in a while. I imagine we haven't. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know that's a tough tour. Yeah. It really. Yeah. God, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We. Yeah. We know. Yeah, We've all done it. Uh. I, so I don't miss it. I mean, at one point we did. Uh. You know, we did. Um. I mean, I miss that. I. What I do miss is like the camaraderie of bands. You know, that was so. That was a lot of fun. You know. Um. But you, you know, there there are moments about Warp Warp Tour, little details that that I'll miss. But I think ultimately. It, I, you know, I'm not really a big festival guy. Yeah. You know, uh, because you know. they're awful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I've been to a few as a, as a fan, but I just, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I like, I like when it, the energy is like confined to a space and it always feels like it's going to blow up. Yeah. You know, whereas like, I mean, that ha- it can happen in it, but there's just so, there's so much, you know, it's, it's the open air and, I don't know. It doesn't feel as contained. It doesn't feel as volatile. You know, outdoor shows, they just don't have the focus and power, man. Yeah. It's not the mystery. Yeah. There's no mystery, you know? Like, even with a great high production show, it's just, there's not the mystery and fucking, like, yeah. I don't know. Well, it's also, like, I feel like they tried to do too much. Like, we played a festival a couple years ago, and, like, you could hear the other stages from yeah. your stage, and yeah. you're like, it's too well, much. Well, you know what yeah. it is? It's like the difference between going to a movie theater to watch a movie and watching it. Like in a bar. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's totally, yeah, you just, you don't get the forced focus kind of. Yeah. Did you guys see Deadpool yet? I did. I haven't no, seen it. No, shut up. I haven't Be seen quiet. it. I'm just asking if it was good. Relax. I haven't seen it either. 
I enjoyed it. Yeah. I oh, did. you haven't seen it? I thought you said you saw it. I haven't seen it, now. Oh, okay, then I take back the shut up. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I saw it twice, actually. I took my my wife on Valentine's Day. That happens to be her favorite of the comic book characters. Oh, nice. Although she's not very much into char- uh, comic book uh, superhero characters. Like, if there's one she could try to read, I think it's him. And so, you know, so she's... That, so we saw Deadpool twice. Uh, once we saw it on the road with the band. It was a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoyed it very much. We had Joe Kelly in here. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Cool. I, you, guys uh, have com- you guys have comic? We, we've had a couple. A couple. Um, Joe, is he's the one man of action guy who lives on the East Coast. Uh-huh. And he's beyond cool. I mean, they're all beyond cool. But I met them when I was at MTV, and they would always come by and do all kinds of stuff. And he was like, yeah, I'll come by. And oh. was like, you know, it's like you, like like very inspiring creatively, like gets up, writes his own stuff, works on other things. And he's just just super, super great. You know? Oh, cool. And people don't realize how much of like how much he made Deadpool the way it is, you mm-hmm. know, like uh, making him um, like Fabian Nicezia did a really good job starting it off. Uh-huh. But, but Joe Kelly just made him the smart ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, because I was, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I was like wondering, because I was thinking about when Liefeld created him, and I'm not so sure I remembered the comedy, the the comic sort of mm-hmm. aspect of Deadpool then, like back yeah. when what X Force sort of mm-hmm. started to happen. Um, it was actually yeah. New Mutants before it before it was X Force. Oh yeah, because I read New Mutants from issue one all the way up to. Right before Cable and Deadpool showed up, because I was like, boy, storytelling is just crap. I'm not going to read this anymore. And then Liefeld showed up, and I, like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Do you think, like, the whole, like, movie or, like, Netflix adaptations of the superhero thing is, like, getting out of control? Do you generally like them? Um, I th- you think know, it I, depends. Yeah, I guess it depends. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's entertaining. I mean, I guess it's going to come to a point where it's going to meet ahead and, and people are going to no longer maybe I mean, or maybe not i don't know yeah it's tough to say people seem to, to seem to like them and gravitate towards them yeah you know um i'm surprised we haven't talked about star wars yeah <laughs> uh I'm, I'm not a big star wars person are you guys i love star wars yeah <laughs> i'm in the minority where What's shall we begin claudio where shall we begin <laughs> i don't know today was a big day in my son's uh life he said star wars Oh wow, that's it. huge! Yeah, my uh, my <laughs> wife and I, uh, you know, our apartment's a little uh, little funny, um, just because we have a few droids like on the wall. My wife got me this like awesome 1977 original Star Wars poster signed by one of the Hildebrandt brothers, and really? it's got like a Boba Fett and a Darth Vader sketch on it. And so now Atlas, my son, he'll point to it. And when he points to it, that means it's time to watch Star Wars. And he'll watch it. He'll watch the first 24 minutes of it because it's basically the adventures of the droids. He really mm-hmm. likes C-3PO and R2-D2. They're like, you know, his jam. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, today was the first day he had said it. <laughs> my, my girls Congratulations. <laughs> Dude, hey, that's a big moment. My girls enjoy saying, we don't like Star Wars, Dad. You like Star Wars. <laughs> oh, yes. yeah. Then I go, there's a princess in it. <laughs> they do like frozen though right yeah they like that frozen yeah they love that i don't know their, their jam right now is um uh brave which i'm into because oh, it's cool. like the big fuck you to all princesses <laughs> but did you like force awakens What'd i did i did i saw it uh, a few times four times actually i saw it the fourth time with the band in antwerp like we all like the whole band and crew got together we're all like super excited 
and we were like, let's go do it together. And so we did. And, um, but, uh, you know, the first day I saw it with my wife, I think at one point in the movie, like I was so transfixed, uh, she at one point asked me a question and I couldn't believe how transfixed and into the movie I was that she just took me out. I was like, oh man, I don't know if I've ever experienced anything like that, like that sort of attention. <laughs> and, uh, and so, I mean, I liked it at first, you know, I definitely thought of it as like, it was a reboot without calling it a reboot, you know, it definitely mm-hmm. lived on the skeleton of a new hope and, and it had, you know, pieces of, of some of the other movies in it. But I think for me, I think it, it couldn't be any, any less than that because I think it would have been re- met with a lot of resistance, you know, yeah. um, you know, it was a nice kicking off point. You know, there were some things like when I think about the timeline and I think about the destruction of the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi, and then we move into The Force Awakens. If you're deciding to go that, you know, and watch them in succession, you're like, oh, it's another Death Star. That kind of that kind of bums me out a little bit. But for the most part, you know, I very much enjoyed it. Like after that first night, we saw it the preview night. I went the next morning. I'd asked my wife, you know, now with a kid, it's like, it's a little difficult to just like say, hey, I'm going to go do this. But I asked her and she was like, you're allowed, you can go. So I went, I went to like the nine or 10 o'clock showing the next morning and I loved it even more the second time I saw it. Really? Um, Yeah, yeah. I I need to see it a second time because I I watched it once and I got, uh, I was really bummed. You were. I liked it, but I was really bummed and it took me like, because I don't, I'm very specific with, with what reviewers I read because, uh-huh. you know, there's people going to attack it, whatever. So I, there's somebody sent me one. I was like, wow, this really articulated why I was bummed. And I was bummed because the happy ending of Return of the Jedi is gone. What? So Return of the Jedi ends. And everybody's yeah, like. Death Star's over. Empire's yeah, yeah. done. Nope, it's not. And guess what? You know who sucks as a Jedi Master? Luke. He did the same thing. Oh, yay, Han and Leia are together. Nope, not anymore. Oh, and their kid's an asshole. You know, and it's <laughs> and it started, and I was like, oh crap. Like there's it 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 brought an era an of <laughs> reality. What? What are you saying? I Brad? like this. I like the summary. It's I mean, I knew I knew it, but it's just nice to hear it. You know, but summarize. it's like so it brought this era of reality to uh-huh. it. And 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 the article I read, which is very interesting, was how um, there are no endings anymore. But you know, as comic book fans, we know this because every few years they retcon shit. And we we want to see new stories, yeah, you know, uh-huh. um, and then we want to see a new take on an old story. Sometimes, you know, Killing Joke, prime example, that yeah. kind of thing. But with Star Wars, I was like, because I loved going back to the world. I was like, this is great. Um, uh, I love that it's. I have daughters. I love that it's a girl who's the uh-huh. hero. I think that's awesome. But. Um, it's like, oh, there's another holographic weird emperor kind of guy. There's another big giant yeah, thing. It was that that's what got me. Yeah, and, no. and, I lo- and uh the more I thought about it, I was like, fuck. Those Ewoks died for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for I think I agree with you, definitely. The, that's a the fact that it lives on the on that 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 beat for beat sort of mm-hmm. skeletal new hope kind of thing. I I definitely I definitely agree. But part of me you know, feels as though, you know, they, they, they probably wanted to stray away from the, the prequels as much as possible. And sort of the first one kind of starts that way where things are somewhat okay. And this trade federation starting to, starting to muck things up a little bit. And your villain is sort of in the shadows. Whereas this time, I think they just wanted it to be like, to feel as like resonant as the other one, where it's like the bad guys are, are really relevant. 
you know, in there. Um, you know, but I agree with you entirely. Like the, yeah. you know, it would have been it would have been nice to see something completely original. Because again, like I'm going to watch those movies one day because I'm going to do it. Well, we think we all are. <laughs> you know, we're going to watch them back to back. And coming out of Jedi into Force Awakens, you're just going to be like, oh man, I kind of wish that it wasn't another like ultimate weapon that mimicked the one they just destroyed. Right? Yeah, you know? it's like a it's it a bummer. It's it's like the Rebel Alliance is still they're rebelling. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, that 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 really got to me, and and I was like, I wonder why this is this is really affecting me. And I thought about, it. I was like, wow, because as a kid. Um, Watching a pirate, I lived in an army base in Europe, and we got a pirated, we got a bootleg of Return of the Jedi that my uncle sent. That shows like, like it pans so you can read what Jabba the Hutt's saying. Like that's how bad it was. <laughs> All the kids in the neighborhood sat and we watched and we're like, ah, yay! You know, even the bad song at the end before it got renewed. I was like, oh, cool, it's over, hooray! And nope. <laughs> yeah. So it's very interesting, but the comics that um. I don't know. Have you read the Jason Aaron? I comic? have. Yes, actually, yeah. So good. Yeah. I mean, I want to see that movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at first, like some of the some of the things, I think it really started to get its its legs when they did the Vader Down story arc. Because, yeah. like, I definitely don't get me wrong. I definitely enjoyed it from from issue one on. But there was like you know just those little things that we, they kept uh, just just the those little similarities, like the like the the hut. Although I did like the hut, the collector. With oh, the, I read that one. Yeah. With the oh, really? Yeah, like it's just like little little things like that, um, that mimic the stories that we've already had. You know, it's like a, it's a huge galaxy. Like, you know, I would like to see a little bit more of original species, things like that. But how, how do you feel about them like just wiping the slate clean on all the canon from the extra books, like in the eighties and nineties and on? You know, I mean, you know, I wasn't that. I mean, I think as my extent of reading those canons, I read Shadows of the Empire, which bridged Empire and, and Jedi, which I really liked because I always yeah. wanted a book that would do something like that. Yeah. And that's what the Jason Aaron series is doing for us. It's bridging a new it. hope. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Spl- I Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Remember that one? Yes, I do. But I never read that. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's that's sort, that sort of ca- that's came after uh, A New Hope, right? And it's funny because it's it's before uh, they realized there were you know that they I don't think Lucas had planned on them being brother and sister for a while. I think yeah, he, you can, I think he always knew Darth Vader was the dad. There mm-hmm. are people who say he didn't, but I think he did, based on New Hope with Uncle Owen going. He has too much of his father in him. That whole thing. Yeah. I think he always knew that. But this one, like, it ends up with Luke getting the shit kicked out of him and Leia having to fight Darth Vader with a lightsaber. It's oh, very interesting. It's, yeah. very, it's very sneaky. It's like you can see the seeds of Yoda being planted and stuff like that. It's uh-huh. pretty cool. There's no, a comic adaptation, I think. Could be wrong. I have no idea what you guys have been talking about for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> it's very interesting. This is how we feel when you and Jeff Rickley <laughs> talk about uh, Ink and Dagger and Integrity. Yeah, and, yeah that's fair. Which that's Claudio fair. can most likely hang on better than me. <laughs> I don't know if I can. Yeah. Ink and Dagger, that's a band, yes? yes. See, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You'd love them. They're great. Very we progressive. They're great. Um, right on. Do we? Do, when do we start? Do we tap out? Yeah, we're almost. I, can, I have to go pick up my kids in a few minutes. So. Yeah, yeah. I think we're pretty much there. Um, so you guys, um, do you have a release date for the record or anything? You're still working on it? Oh, the the record actually came out. It was, oh, gotcha. Um, it came out in October. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's like what we're in support. Uh, 
what we're in support of right now. Okay, I gotcha. Um, I thought you were saying you were writing another record. No, this that's is, what I was thinking. Oh, I knew yeah. the color was out. But with with how prolific you are, it's not bad for us to say when's the next record. Yeah, <laughs> it is hard. It's sort of hard to keep track. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I've, you know. <laughs> Right now, I think the idea is, is to really get the comics going, you know, get Good Apollo 1 out. I also have a children's book that's coming out. Um, of course you do. In the, in the fall. <laughs> yeah. Um, we haven't announced that, but it's, it's actually gonna, really great. Are you going to tour on the children's book? Or? Um, I don't know if, maybe, possibly. Is it connected to the canon too, or is it totally different? No, it's totally different. It's basically a lesson in manners for children, but it's, uh, but it's set in a science fiction world, a sci-fi fantasy world. Um, you know, and it's about this kid that's longing to go to this city and, you know, just explore it, you know. And uh, he meets a, a, a companion that tells him, you know, you don't want to go there. There's a tyrannical king that lives inside and he's uh, he's not very nice and he's going to force you to entertain him. And so the kid is like, uh, I'll figure it out when I get there. And he does. And he teaches the king a lesson in manners. And it's funny. I wrote this book. I, it was, I was in the Best Western 101 above the... Uh, I forget the, the Cafe 101 in, in L.A. And I was writing these ideas on all the little notepads. It just came to me in the morning. I was like, man, this is my Ziggy Stardust. Oh, like I totally thought this was like this huge concept rock kind of thing, you know, outside of the Amory Wars. And then I started getting deeper, deeper into it. And I'm like, this is not that. This is a children's <laughs> story. This is too too nice. Dude, um, I would take a 13-minute rock song on how to say please and thank you. <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a great idea. If you do a tour for the kids' book, you could call it Coheed and Creandia. Ooh. And have, like, coloring. Nice. And like, yeah. That's different from, uh, what was the one that they used to call us every once in a while? Code, uh, codeine and chlamydia? <laughs> or, like, or, so, or something like that. It was like <laughs> yeah, that could be a different tour. <laughs> Wow, things got things got a little nerdy there at the end, Brad. Things, yeah, things but got in a, a good little, way. Hey, man, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be appreciative of that. Um, speaking of Star Wars, do you remember um, if you like Stephen Smith and you like Star Wars, you like Coding Cambria, you're gonna you liked that podcast. Yeah, that podcast was for you. Um, do you remember when Brendan came by and he was playing that Bushes of Love thing, that like Star Wars yeah. lip sync thing? <laughs> so I saw the Falcon the other night, uh, Brendan's other band who were awesome, him and Dan from Alkaline Trio, Dave Haas, Neil from um, Brendan Arms. And before they went on, it was at Chase Stadium, the lights went out and they played Bushels of Love twice all the way through. Like, Brendan's still obsessed with that. Wait, wait, they played the song. Over the PA. They just They just had it playing on like something and it just like i was like dude come on it was so funny <laughs> uh it's yeah. like my kid's favorite youtube video it's yeah star wars really yeah yeah bad liberty the nfl shit is made well have you seen the also there's a bunch of like republican convention stuff no i didn't even know that was really a thing oh my god you got just go to their site it's you I, you'll choke really? laughing uh, i i'm i think i just have finished watching that Nick Jonas guitar solo for like the 45th time. Yeah. And that's, that's real. So that's incredible. <laughs> you know who would never play a solo like that? Claudio Sanchez. <laughs> that dude rips. He's got a sick And if he did a solo like that, it would be his experimental phase. Yes. And it would be brilliant. It would be comedy on purpose. Speaking of which, we just saw Coheed did this political video for Funny or Die. 
that uh-huh. uh, you guys can check out via Funny or Die or Coheed's site. That's pretty funny. But yeah, yeah, we talk about, yeah, Claudio's Cool Explorers. He talked about his double neck, SG. Podcast have, is over, dude. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, why am I talking <laughs> about this? Good point. Uh, have, Brad, have you ever played one of those 12-string, six-screen double necks? No. No? No. I don't think that I could. Why not? Uh, I think that it would burn like the Antichrist <laughs> into my palm. I think they're so cool looking. <laughs> the double neck. It's weird. That 12 string electric is an amazingly difficult instrument. Not yeah. to play, but to fit in <laughs> to your music. And I'm sure to tune. <laughs> yeah, it's a bitch to tune. What are what are the what's the octave but like what's the difference between the strings? They're just octaves. I think. They're just octaves. Okay. Yeah. It's like one octave. Like the second string is very thin. Okay. Right. Right. So they feel funny. That's the other thing is when you play them, it almost feels like, you know, I mean, you know, you play a six string and it's very obvious where the strings are. You feel right, them under right. your fingers. With those, it almost just becomes this almost flat surface because the string area is essentially doubled. Right. So like, I find it really difficult to figure out where my fingers are on the fretboard with a 12 string. Here's what's interesting about it. Um, everyone knows those guitars from whatever, like Jimmy Page, blah, blah, blah. But you haven't seen since then a lot of 12 string electrics and you haven't really seen an updated double neck. Like you don't see like Gibson coming out with like a new one or like, or like probably true <laughs> maybe it's just such a niche thing that it's like not worth it yeah it's definitely niche and like you can always find some motherfucker to make one for you probably some yeah. geeky luthier yeah or you could probably go to gibson or fender and say hey customize this for me if you're in coheed and cambria they make you a signature model yeah it's nice to be famous it's nice to be famous. We should end this podcast. Yes, we should. Um, <laughs> so thanks again for Claudia for coming by. Thanks, Gibson, for sending us a free double neck. The shirt's on the way. Uh, thanks to Blaze again. Blaze James, great manager. Um, thanks to Brad for being here. Thanks to Rubber Track for hosting us. If you want to leave us a donation, go to gongofftrack.com. Leave us a couple bucks. Pay our server costs. This is episode 203, I think, so it's a lot of data. Uh, you can also, if you don't want to give us money, that's cool. You can, uh, leave us a nice review on iTunes or just tell your friends about it. That's the best thing you could do probably. Aside from sending us money, that's actually the best thing. Um, so yeah, thanks everyone. We'll be back with another podcast next week. Bye.